Kelly. Well, I'm excited to continue talking to you about uh, how to have uh, a new year that is um, one of growth, of joy and peace and love. Our theme verse has been Luke 2:52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. The voice, uh, new paraphrase, uh, says Jesus kept on growing. And uh, even though it's not New Year's Day or New Year's Eve or New Year's Week, it's in fact even February, but we still need to keep growing. We still want to grow in the ways that Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom, so we want to grow mentally and emotionally and financially. And he grew in stature, so we want to grow in physical health as well. He grew in favor with God, so we want to grow spiritually as Peter encourages us, grow in God's grace. Don't just taste God's grace, experience God's grace. Grow in God's grace and become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then number four, Jesus grew in favor with people. In other words, he grew relationally. And so today, in a a sense, we're going to kind of try to pull a little bit of, of all this together and think about uh, a way that God wants uh, us to grow uh, as uh, not just individuals, but as a, a church family, as the body of Christ. And so uh, our theme verse is a pretty significant passage of Scripture because uh, this passage from the Hebrew Scriptures is the one that when Jesus first stood up and began his uh, public ministry uh, in adulthood as a, a 30-year-old uh, man, Uh, He opened the scroll he was handed, and he opened it to Isaiah 61, and he read these words. And so here we are, maybe 10 years short of two millennia later, of 20 centuries later, uh, in uh, February of 2030, I think that's my estimate. And here we are, about to read the same passage of Scripture that came from long before Jesus. And he opened the scroll and he read where it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year, the season, the era the time span of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He sent me to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Well, this is quite a passage of Scripture, and as you know, 
Jesus read uh, through a, a section of this and then closed up the scroll and then turned to the congregation in the temple and said, today this passage has been fulfilled in your presence. Today. It's a today kind of passage. It was written many years ago and, and uh, even many years ago from us, uh, Jesus uh, shared this as the content of his very first public message in a Jewish synagogue. And here we are reading it again and asking God to allow uh, our hearts and our minds to be quickened by his spirit so that we are not just able to grasp this message, but that the Holy Spirit is able to grasp us and infuse in us what he's trying to communicate. And a couple things I want us to notice. There's a couple ways to read this passage, and one is just simply to, to do, a little, do a little English. Maybe you didn't like English in school, and here you are stuck again. You thought you got out of it. But um, one way to read this passage is to look for nouns. But you, you just want to look for nouns. You want to look for the uh, subject of the sentence, the one who is doing the the person represented by the noun who's doing the acting, and you want to also look for the object, the people or a person who uh, is receiving the action. Uh, you can also look at the verbs and see what that action might be, and each one of these kind of passes through the passage will let us know uh, something, uh, kind of another layer of what God is speaking through his prophet Isaiah that Jesus uh, said is something that is now reality in his presence on earth and, and which we look to and ask God to speak to us again. And so the first thing we want to see and the, the first kind of principle and point is this, that Isaiah introduces five characters in the human story. Isaiah introduces five characters in the human story. Now, tonight, uh, well, I, I sh I don't, it's not really tonight, but tonight the uh, Academy Awards are on, but I believe I saw in the paper that they, that they what the, does anybody know what time they start officially? Five o'clock, but when do they really start on TV? <laughs> yep, yep. It's like as bad as the Super Bowl, right? You have like a week uh, leading up, and the Super Bowl doesn't always live up to it, although this past Super Bowl was pretty good. But uh, people love stories. I think that's part of the appeal of movies or of television and certainly of, of books and novels and fiction and mysteries. And uh, our lives are quite a story as well. And Isaiah is sharing uh, the key protagonists, if you will, in the human story, in our story, in your story and mine. A guy named Donald Miller wrote about uh, the impact of story in our lives, and he said, uh, the challenge for us as human beings is that we're often so self-centered. I'm not trying to say anything here, no political commentary or anything on the, uh, on the Academy Awards themselves, but we're so self-centered as individuals, as human beings, that uh, most of us tend to look at our lives as a movie in which we are the star, right? Or we are the, the Academy Award winner. Uh, and uh, then around us are all the other role players. Well, uh, Isaiah presents five characters in our story, in the story of humanity. And it begins with the sovereign Lord, if you look at the passage. Now, the first line, it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord. So it's the spirit, yes, but it's the spirit of the sovereign Lord. And then he goes on, because the Lord has anointed me, the Lord has poured out his spirit on me. 
So we have to start with the sovereign Lord. As we looked last week in times of challenge and difficulty and trouble uh, and uh, suffering that comes from those troubles, uh, if you remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 and the first couple of uh, verses there starts with God. Uh, Praise be to God, the God of all, uh, the uh, Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And here he starts with the sovereign Lord. That's the the first and the preeminent and the most important character, if you will, in the human story. He's not just a, a fictional character. He's a live person. But in the story of our lives, the sovereign Lord, the Father of all, comes first. And then secondly, it's his spirit. As we're going to see in just a moment, uh, this is a fully Trinitarian, I believe, uh, perspective. If we look at it and we think about it closely, God's Spirit, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the speaker says, is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me, and we know biblically that anointing involved the Spirit. If you look at 1 Samuel 16, when uh, David was anointed as king by the prophet Samuel, we read in uh, 1 Samuel 16 that from that point on, the Holy Spirit came on David with power. So anointing, or uh, the kind of Greek word of this, if we were to translate that into Greek, is the word that we get our word for christening in. It's the pouring out of the goodness and the grace and the breath and the life of God himself, that anointing. So the, the identity of the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, it's right there in the first line, and that second line uh, refers to the involvement of the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord in God anointing the speaker with that Spirit. And we too want to be anointed with that Spirit. Now, you may be saying, well, how do you know that that is the Spirit that uh, Isaiah is referring to? So I'm going to have you kind of write down a couple of references next to uh, letter B, his spirit, and see if any of these kind of make sense why Isaiah, so late in his book, this is chapter 61, it's a fairly uh, hefty book, in Isaiah 11, there's a passage that comes that uh, is a passage sometimes that we cite uh, around uh, Christmas because of the coming of the of the the. Uh, child that was born and the son that is given. Uh, we read about that or we heard about that uh, in Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah 11, we read these words, a stump will come up, excuse me, a shoot will come up, a, a, a green bud, if you will, will come up from the stump of Jesse. It seemed like Israel wasn't really flourishing particularly at this time, but God's life always comes forth. And even when it feels like, seems like, looks like things aren't going smashingly, that, that maybe God is not winning a day, there's life always that begins to bud. And we always should be looking around for the, another phrase from, uh, from Isaiah, for the new thing that God is up to, the new thing that God is doing. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will rest on that stump, that branch, that fruit-bearing branch. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. 
the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. Interesting, a couple chapters earlier, we heard that the son who would be given the child to be born would be a wonderful what? Counselor. And here we have that word in Isaiah 11, 2. And he would be the mighty God. And here we have the spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And things will change in our world. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Well, if we didn't know better, it sounds like, looking back, it sounds like a description of what Jesus came to do. Flip forward uh, 20 chapters or so to Isaiah chapter 32. So that was Isaiah 11 too, especially. But now Isaiah 32, not on the screen, but uh, not in your notes either, but you can just write that down. Isaiah 32, 15. And here he says, uh, he talks about uh, how uh, the nation is overthrown. A nation is not doing well, but a king will reign in righteousness. That's 32.1. A king will reign in righteousness. Streams of water in the desert will come, the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Then he descri- uh, he's described uh, until the spirit is poured on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. We live, as you know, in a bit of a desert, so for us to have warnings of a good dose of rain uh, sometime this morning, is that what's supposed to happen, is a a good sign for us. Uh, But we want the Spirit to be poured out on us so that the desert that we maybe experience in our life will become a fertile field, a fertile field uh, become like a a desert, uh, become like a a forest as well. So God's involvement in a new and a fresh way in our lives is pictured. Go forward another 10 chapters to Isaiah 42 where Isaiah begins talking about what some call uh, the servant of the Lord or the suffering servant even. And Isaiah 42 begins uh, the section talking about uh, this servant, uh, and uh, we read that the, the, the Lord says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. My chosen one in whom I delight. That sounds like something we've read in the New Testament, something we've read right from the story of Jesus. When the heavens opened at his baptism, and everybody heard the Father say, This is my beloved Son. And he gives me great pleasure. I delight in him. And I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. You say, well, are you sure we're talking about Jesus? Well, verse 2, he will not shout or cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. But in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. And in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. 
So the servant is coming. God says, and I will put my spirit on him. And he is my servant and he is my chosen one in whom I delight. He is uh, the, the savior as described. He's the servant and savior in Isaiah 43. I am the Holy One, I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your, sa- uh, your Savior. And it talks about the, the redemption coming through the Savior. We know what happens in Isaiah 52 because we learn about the servant again who will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. His form marred beyond human likeness. And the early church, looking back into the Hebrew Scriptures to try to come to grips with this this man anointed by God who then did extraordinary things because God was with him, but went to the cross, which was not what they were expecting. Put to death, which was really not what they were expecting. Buried, which means it's over and done. His story is over, and our story may be as well. And then God raised him from the dead, and they really, really, really weren't expecting that, were they? And then uh, shared another 40 days with them before he ascended to heaven, uh, and then poured out his spirit. As they looked back into the Hebrew scriptures to try to understand it, they saw these references and they thought, this is like a description of Jesus on the cross. Many were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. His form was marred beyond human likeness. And so he will sprinkle many nations. He had no beauty, continuing on to, to chapter 53. He, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Uh, from the outside, he appeared like an ordinary human man, and yet nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others. He was a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain. That means so much to me that my Savior and your Savior is familiar with pain. This is probably one of the reasons why in the Psalms we read that the Lord is close to the broken in heart and he binds up every wound like one from whom people hid their faces he was despised and we held him in low esteem this is isaiah 53 now verse 4 surely he took up our pain he bore our suffering and yet we considered him punished by god stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace rested on him, and by his stripes we are healed. And we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On and on it goes with passages that just came to life in the minds of these early uh, uh, followers of Jesus. He, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Just um, so many uh, illusions that, that just came to life as the early Christians were looking back on the Hebrew Scriptures and thinking about 
the life of Jesus. You give one more, uh, Isaiah uh, 44, verse 3. Isaiah 44, verse 3, uh, where he says, uh, talks about the servant um, that he has chosen. I will pour water on the thirsty land and, spring, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants, and they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. So we're talking about the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, and the way he is poured out, and then we come to Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord now, the speaker tells us, is resting on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me a third time, right, to proclaim freedom for the captives, etc. So that brings us in our kind of a, a, the sovereign Lord, and B, the spirit of the sovereign Lord to see his anointed servant. And in our passage, when we read it, we read about what God has anointed me to do. The presence of Jesus, the anointed servant, is a central character in the human story. And now we stop and we think, we have the sovereign Lord, the Father, God. We have the Spirit, the life, the breath of God himself. And we have the Son, the anointed servant who brings the Father delight. The one on whom the Spirit is on. The one on whom God has poured out the Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor. So five characters in the human story, and the first three aren't us. <laughs> we come a little bit later. We're a minor character, or as some people would said, I think this week with the passing of a 103-year-old Kirk Douglas, he was uh, a guy with leading man looks, but uh, the acting chops of a character actor. Well, we're just kind of a character actor in our story. We're not the lead, we're not the star. It's the, the Lord, the Father. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Son and the servant of God, Jesus Christ. But we come into the story in our story, the human story, in letter D. And we're the broken and the crushed people. We're the broken and crushed people. We'll come back to this in just a moment. But there's one final group that's here, not just us, because uh, just as our story doesn't begin with us, which we'd like to think, so our story doesn't end with us. And so later in the passage that we don't have here on the page, but, but uh, later in Isaiah 61, verses 9 and 11, we're pointed to some other broken and crushed people. In other words, letter E, write down, our broken communities, our shattered world. I referenced earlier uh, during the, the prayer uh, for the offering about people I've uh, spoken with just this week who, who have go are going through grief or going through difficulty. As uh, someone who's part of our church family starting uh, some uh, treatment for cancer this coming week. Went uh, yesterday to a, a memorial service for someone who is, uh, have a, has a, a deep connection to our church. In fact, uh, he lives uh, next door to us on the back corner, uh, Roy Horine. Uh, and he went to be with the Lord and went to his service uh, in Pasadena. 
but his daughter, uh, Carol, Kyle, uh, has worked in our school office for a long time. Uh, and his uh, adopted son is uh, Daniel Horine, or DJ, uh, who is our uh, longtime uh, part of the Bethany family since he was little. Uh, and our, our family actually married into Sherry's family, and she talked about all the foster kids that they had, and one foster kid was this little guy named Danny. And I got to know him uh, when I met Sherry, and then we got engaged and married, and I found out he was at the church, and I was like, oh, this is Danny. Oh, that's Danny. Okay, I know who Danny is. And then he's been a very special young man to me, and I was privileged to uh, marry uh, DJ and his wife, Adney, uh, five, uh, 10 years ago, and now they have a little uh, beautiful uh, five-year-old uh, son. And uh, But he gave a beautiful testimony to his dad, to his father, and uh, to that uh, deep, deep loss. We are broken in so many ways. We're in February, and uh, in about a week or so, it's going to be the anniversary third of my mother's home going and uh, a week later the second anniversary of my wonderful mo mother-in-law Angie Peterson's home going uh, we're, we're broken people we live in a broken community with broken people we live in a shattered world all we have to do is look at uh, reports on the evening news or the morning paper our world is a mess and our world needs God, our world needs the spirit of the living God. Our world needs this servant who came to bring good news to broken and crushed people. So five characters in the human story, uh, and sort of sequentially, they're the subject of the story. Uh, the sovereign Lord is one who initially acts, and he anoints the servant with the spirit. So the spirit is acted on, but then the spirit is poured out on Jesus, and the spirit... And Jesus then receives the Spirit, if we can attract this right. But then Jesus himself pours out the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on who? Broken and crushed people. In other words, the likes of us. The likes of us with our struggle. And so we're the recipient of the action. And yet, as we'll see as we kind of spend some time kind of sitting with just this text and listening to it uh, deep from our heart, is that we're meant to be called to action ourselves. And we're meant to be used to bring hope and life and blessing to others who are broken and shattered. Well, those are the, some of the nouns that we look at, some of the individuals involved in the human story. But number two, write down that Isaiah also describes the human condition. Isaiah also describes the human condition. And he says that we are, and, and you'll notice that I have uh, some bullets here, but you'll notice also that they're not on the screen behind me right now. So you're going to have to listen. I apologize for that. It's a horrible thing to ask people to do in a, early in the morning. But have to listen, but it's actually fairly easy because if you compare the text, you can kind of know exactly what the fill-ins are in this section. When he describes the human condition, Isaiah says, uh, and God tells Isaiah to tell us, that we are poor. Now, it's income tax season. So many of us can affirm that we are poor in income tax season. Uh, but the word means more than financially poor. It means those who are, I guess, a little bit what Jesus might say when he said in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, 
that God's blessing rests on the poor in spirit. It's those who are kind of crushed by life, crushed on the inside. The Hebrew word is ani. And I wasn't a great Hebrew student uh, when I was in seminary, I'll have to confess. I, I, I do a better, I can still utilize vestiges of my studies in Greek, but my Hebrew, not so much. But I will always remember my uh, earliest Hebrew uh, professor, who happened to be the president of Fuller Seminary, David, David Allen Hubbard, talking about the ani, or in plural, the anawim. The I am ending in Hebrew is kind of how you form you don't need to know this, but just for interest's sake, is how you form a plural. So there's a, a, a restaurant, there's one a fast food restaurant over by the Costco in Azusa, and uh, uh, around it there's a, a new burger restaurant called Burger Im. So that means what? It's a Hebrew word, so there's a Hebrew origins to the restaurant, but it means burgers plural, right? It means burgers but it's burgerim, okay? So this word ani is a singular word for the poor, but the word here is plural, and that word is anawim. So it's all y'all, as uh, a former member of Bethany uh, uh, used to tell us, right? Uh, Henry Buteau. All y'all, kind of in southern uh, and Hebrew, uh, is that we are all broken, and, by, and we're all poor, and by that it doesn't simply convey financially poor because in a sense uh, all of those who live in the kind of the western world in the United States and, and, and Europe and Australia can probably uh, hardly claim to be financially poor. We're among the top 10% financially in terms of annual income uh, of all the people on our planet. But it means those who are, uh, those who are kind of pressed down by life those who are weighed down, those who are being kind of slowly crushed by life. And I think when you think of that, you think, you know, possibly you might, you might possibly relate to that in some way. Maybe you're going through things on the physical realm, the health realm, or, or more difficulty, the, the health of someone who's near and dear to you. Or maybe you're, you're struggling uh, in your... Uh, place of work or your workplace or you're struggling financially or you're, you're struggling with, with uh, physical health or you could be struggling with, with emotional health or with relational health or with mental health. In all the ways that we struggle, we get kind of crushed by life. And, and uh, so we think of this on a weem uh, and uh, it has a, a resonance for me this many years ago, and so those of you who've been at Bethany for ages, however many years that is, more than a couple, will remember that we've talked about Isaiah 61 in the past. And when we talked about it was in a certain context, which is that uh, when I became pastor at Bethany, I'm aware of a, a, a beautiful tradition at Bethany and the, those who came before us who uh, pioneered and who uh, paid the way and prayed the way and paved the way for new generations, and some of you are among that group, uh, actually. Uh, and all that work was done and chose the name Bethany. Well, so I began, as I'm a new pastor, I'm like, Bethany, what, what does Bethany mean? It doesn't really have any significance to me. And uh, I began studying the scriptures about 
Bethany. Well, there's not very many references to Bethany. There's a town that's outside of Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives, so very close to Jerusalem. And Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, would often stop and stay and maybe spend the night or spend time with his wonderful friends, Mary and Martha, and their brother, whose name is Lazarus, right? And that's Bethany. And Jesus was always made to feel at home at Bethany. So I began to have a connection. Okay, Bethany is where Jesus feels at home. I like this. Okay, I can, I, I, this makes sense to me. This, this does something for me. But then I started to study, and I, I, started to, I started to look up the etymology of the word. Where's the word come from? And we know that in Hebrew that, that Beth is the word for it, called the house of, right? The, uh, Beth David is the, the house of David, you know? And so there's different things. And, and Bethany just isn't that big of a word. And I just struggled to figure out what is Beth. No, nobody would tell me what Bethany was. I looked up these big, fat, you know, 10-volume things on Hebrew words and couldn't figure out any significance about Beth-ani. And then in my faint, distant memory, a single Hebrew word, Ani or Aniwim, stood out to me. And I began researching and thinking and saying, this is beth the home of, the house of, the ani, the poor, the, the displaced, the, uh, the, the downtrodden, the ones I think that Jesus addresses like you and I in Matthew 11 when he says, if anyone is weary, are you, do you have, do you have, the, just, do you have the strength to raise your hand? Just, you don't have to go all the way up because that, right? Just, just raise your hand like this. Are anybody weary this week? I didn't say two hands. No. <laughs> That's honest right there, right? Boy, I'm weary this week, right? And Jesus said, come to me, all you who are working hard and are heavily burdened, and I will what? I'll give you rest. I call that good news for the broken, the crushed, the downtrodden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Come to me, take my yoke, learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in spirit. And again, a second time he gives this promise, and you will find rest for your soul, not just your body, and that's a part of it that we need, but sometimes our soul needs rest deeply. Jesus is the one who provides this. That's another picture of the Ani, even though that's in the New Testament. So the poor, and so in a sense, if I want you to understand this, this is part of our identity. Bethany is not the church for the perfect. It's not the church for those who've got it all together. If you're looking for the perfect church, I was often told by a mentor in college, if you're looking for a perfect church and if you find it, don't go there. You will ruin it, right? So it's the home of those who've been kind of beat up by life, who've been wounded by life, who've been crushed by life, who are maybe poor in spirit. And if you're there, if that's who you are, then you can find a home, I believe, at Bethany. And together with all the rest of us, you can seek the one who has some good news to communicate to you and to me. He goes on, proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. When well, we know the psalm about he's close to the brokenhearted and he binds up all their wounds. And who isn't brokenhearted? The more we go through life, the more we experience loss. It's kind of unavoidable. It's difficult. Uh, we can be brokenhearted in big ways with a, a loss of someone sig uh, significant to us. We can, be, we can be brokenhearted hearing the story of other people who lose someone, the story of 
Vanessa Bryant and her, her three remaining daughters and their family with uh, the death of Kobe and with uh, little Gianna, but the, also the other families as well and uh, the other seven individuals who lost their life in that helicopter crash. And, and we can be brokenhearted just hearing about someone else. There's a lot of brokenness in life as we go through life, and we need help with it. And Jesus is the one that the Spirit fills so he can help us. Uh, the third word is this, that we got poor, we got brokenhearted. The third word is enslaved. Or as Isaiah says, the captive. He's going to proclaim freedom for the captives. And then another word, the imprisoned. He, release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus is the light of the world. That kind of makes sense, right? He is the way, the truth, the life. So freedom for the captives makes sense. He's going to proclaim the year or the season or the era or the time frame of God's favor, the Lord's favor. The Lord longs to be gracious, Isaiah chapter 30 tells us. He longs to be gracious. And Jesus stops there as he's preaching in Luke chapter 4, but the passage goes on to say, and to proclaim the year of the, uh, the, the day of vengeance of our God. I'm grateful as I look at the proportionality that uh, it's the year or the season or the era or the epoch of God's favor, and it's the day of vengeance of our God. But vengeance is important when people who have been wronged. We want vengeance. In fact, God has to kind of, it's such a human response, God has to counsel us. Uh, he says, uh, vengeance is mine. Only God with his great heart of love can, can handle uh, leveraging vengeance, but it's only for a moment. It's the day of vengeance of our God. But then look what he does. He goes on to say, uh, God has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he's anointed me to comfort all who mourn. So the fifth word is mourning. And then verse 3, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. So the next word is grieving, right? You've got poor, brokenhearted, enslaved, imprisoned, mourning, grieving. Does this, is this hitting anybody besides me? <laughs> he goes on, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of what? Instead of ashes. So the next phrase is, in your notes, is crowned with ashes, Crowned with ashes on uh, Ash Wednesday in uh, many Christian traditions. Uh, people will be, uh, you know, marked with ashes as a, a sign of mourning and loss and grief. And then the oil of joy instead of mourning. So again, mourning a second time is there. We're covered with mourning. We can't get away with mourning. Uh, I will never forget growing up, my dad being a pastor, uh, frequently being called away and frequently being uh, involved to help people at the homecoming of a loved one or conducting services. And I will never forget an all-church picnic we had in Salinas at kind of a local park, and the whole church was there. And my dad got a phone call from uh, a widow in our church who had just lost uh, her husband sometime before, and her high school-aged son, about four or five years older than me, uh, drowned surfing off of Monterey. And my dad came to her house, and I've never forgotten his, I wasn't with him, I've never forgotten his description of her with kind of her Scottish brogue, which I won't attempt to replicate, 
coming up to the house and hearing her say, cry out, I can't go through another funeral. I can't go through another funeral. And sometimes the, we're just covered with mourning and we don't know how we're going to go on. And it gets to the point, I believe, that eventually we almost feel like we're clothed with despair. A garment of praise is going to give us instead of a spirit of despair. And then he goes on in verse 4. He talks about the ancient ruins, the places long devastated, the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So the final bullet down there is this, ruined and devastated. Are you all on the floor yet? Well, I wasn't trying to put anybody on the floor, but I was, I think, trying to recognize that I think often in life we end up on the floor. Either from our own losses or from the struggles that people that we love are going through, or even as we watch other people maybe that we don't even know or barely know or sometimes may not even, frankly, like very much, but we see their grief and their loss, and it breaks our heart as well. This is the human condition, I believe, that Isaiah is describing. Would you like me to stop now? But remember the spirit of the sovereign Lord rests on me, the servant said, because he's anointed me to bring good news to the crushed. So can we just real briefly, real quick, very fast, in not very much detail, can we get to the good news? All right, number three, write down. And Isaiah depicts our human destiny. He describes the human condition, having introduced the characters in our human story. But here, number three, he depicts our human destiny. Here's the good news. Here is the good news. He says, the human condition is who we are. The human destiny, number three, is who we will be. He says we will be, verse three, crowned with beauty. He is on me, the spirit, the servant says, because the Lord has anointed me with his spirit to preach good news, proclaim good news, share good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, etc. He has sent me to provide for those who grieve, comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them, top of this page here, right, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Instead of being covered with ashes and being almost recognizable from our pain and our suffering, maybe think of Job sitting on the ash heap and covered with boils and with all the loss he has endured. I could hear Job saying, I can't go through another funeral. But God wants to bestow on those who are grieving and mourning a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And secondly, covered with joy. Crown with beauty, and then the second bullet is this, covered with joy. Covered with joy. He wants to bestow on us the oil of joy instead of mourning. And I've said many, many times, I'm not fully confident that I know what the oil of joy is. <laughs> but I'd like some. I'd like some. And I think the older I've gotten, I've begun to experience moments of the oil of joy, certainly more than I ever have in my life. Which is odd because the older I get, the more people I lose. Because is that your experience? It's my experience. Uh, I told you a couple weeks back about our family photo when 
you know, we got three rows of people and, you know, youngest to oldest. And I knew Frank would be in the front row, but then they said, oh, Doug, why don't you sit in the front row? Well, we age, we lose people, but God promises us the oil of joy instead of mourning. Sadness comes in the nighttime, tears come, but joy comes in the morning, the psalmist says. The disciples and the women around the cross are grief-stricken and horrified, and at the, at the tomb of Jesus are horrified and mortified, and on Easter morning, they're filled with joy. God holds out to us the promise of joy. A garment of praise is the next thing, clothed with praise instead of a spirit of despair. And I know that everybody in this room has encountered somebody who, when they've gone through uh, uh, a crushing blow, uh, uh, a staggering loss, they somehow are clothed in praise. They somehow focus on God, on his goodness, on his grace. And I've had some of the most beautiful times of praise in the presence of people who are going from our world into the presence of Jesus. Times I will never remember when a garment of praise God placed over us instead of a spirit of despair. And there'd be one would read a scripture and one would sing a hymn and one would have a, a chorus of praise. Uh, my our dear friend uh, uh, Larry Crane, when he had a, a, some kind of a, a, a brain aneurysm and possibly was already dead by the time I uh, fa- heard the news and got to the hospital room. But we gather in that room and uh, Bev and Larry's friends from uh, the church that they currently attend uh, over in Orange County uh, came to that room and someone had a guitar and we just stood around the bed and we sang. And there was a, a covering of praise in that room instead of the spirit of despair. And I still miss Larry, but I'm going to see him again. Well, they'll be called Mighty Oaks. Mighty Oaks. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What do you think the writer is getting at here? What is Isaiah getting at here when he says the Mighty Oaks? I think he means that those of us who are beaten by life, crushed by life, uh, bent to the floor by life and its griefs and pains and losses. God wants to strengthen us by crowning us with beauty and covering us with joy, pouring the oil of gladness all over us and clothing us with praise. He wants to strengthen us to be not just a, a stripling of a tree, but a mighty tree and a mighty oak, powerful oak. And he says, uh, he wants us to be a planting of the Lord. We didn't plant ourselves. God plants us for the display of his splendor. God wants his glory to be uh, radiant and um, evident in his sons and daughters. Those who have previously been broken, God wants us to be strengthened to be mighty oaks. And then there's a change in the verb, uh, in, the, in, the, in the nouns here. Because we have the sovereign Lord who sends the Spirit on the anointed servant, on the anointed king, on Jesus. 
And then Jesus preaches good news, communicates good news to the broken and crushed people like you and like me who've gone through a lot. But I love that fact that it doesn't end there. And there's a kind of another generation that is in view, verse 4. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins, and they will restore the places long devastated. This has been a city or a community or a family or a, a neighborhood or a nation that hasn't done well for a long time, and God is going to bring it back to life. And you and I are going to be involved. We're the they that will be called mighty oaks, and we're the they that will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated and renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So the last three bullets, right? You got that crowned with beauty, covered with joy, clothed with praise, mighty oaks for God to display his glory, rebuilders, restorers, renewers. God wants to work through Bethany again to bring hope and life and comfort and joy and praise and stability and strength to people who are crushed by life and they live all the way around us. And uh, this is a very full package, so a passage, so this is as far as we can go, so come back next week and we'll uh, pick it up and think more about what God offers us in this incredible good news. Father, we are so grateful for the son that you delighted in so much that you sent your spirit on him and you anointed him to preach good news to those who are crushed by life. And we are here at Bethany, a non-perfect church, a church full of people who are imperfect, who have been wounded by life, who have suffered losses, who have griefs, who have wounds. And yet you are close to the broken in heart and you bind up every wound. And you want to transform us by crowning us with beauty and covering us with joy and clothing us with praise and strengthening and stabilizing us so we're mighty oaks to the point that we can then look around us to our world, our neighborhood, our community and be those who come alongside other people to rebuild and restore and renew. Would you teach us what this looks like in everyday life? Use us to make a difference, to bring good news to the generation that you have placed us as missionaries and co-workers with you right in the middle of. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now God's children said...